Blog Talk Radio. Hey to all our Blog Talk Radio friends out there. It is cloudy here in Philadelphia this morning, but I want to welcome you so many times to Off the Shelf for this Saturday, April the 16th. 2011. Thank you to our loyal listeners who've been tuning in for seven years. I do appreciate you. And for those who are tuning in for the first time, I want to introduce myself to you. I'm your host, Denise Turney, coming to you live again from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And again, I thank you. Thank you for your support. And I encourage you not to let another day pass before you pick up a copy of Long Walk Up. Long Walk Up is my latest book, and it is a powerfully moving and inspirational book that you will be blessed to add to your book collection. You can pick up a copy of Long Walk Up today by visiting www.chistel.com. You can also pick up a copy of Long Walk Up from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Borders, Walmart, any bookstore. If you don't see it on the shelf, just go up to the clerk and say, I'd like to get Order a copy of Long Walk Up by Denise Turney, and they can get a copy for you because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. And now, and I'm so excited, let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. Our special guest today is an Essence Magazine best-selling author. She earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in Journalism and Mass Communication from the University of North Carolina. She is a former public relations professional. I'm sure that comes in, 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 in to her advantage as a writer these days, uh, a field she worked in for 10 years. She is a public speaker and the vice president of Visions in Print. She is also a founding member of Anointed Authors on Tour. And our special guest is also, as if that's not enough, the author of the book Zora's Cry, The Last Woman Standing, The Truth About Love, and A Heart of Devotion. She has also contributed to the anthology A Million Blessings. Her latest title is Stepping Into the Good Life. Off-the-shelf listeners, let's give a warm welcome to our very special guest, best-selling author, Tia McCullers. And as you listen to her feature interview, please go and check her out online. This is one of the benefits of listening to the radio over the Internet. You can check her out online as you listen to the interview. And she's online at www.tiamccullers.com, and that's T-I-A-M-C-C-O-L-L. Com. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Tia. Thank you so much, Denise. Just like where you are, it is cloudy in the ATL, but I think I see the sun trying to press through those clouds this morning. <laughs> okay, okay. It's supposed to be a cloudy weekend here, but the last two days were nice. I want to start by asking you, as I was doing the research and as I do with all the, the uh, guests, I'm, there's usually something that will jump out at me. And then it caused me to ask a question about it. What made you decide to take the leap from working in a corporate environment to writing books? I mean, those two environments are completely opposite. What made you decide to take that shift? Well, Denise, it all started, I can say the big push for me started back in 1999. And I was working a job in public relations for a nonprofit organization. And um, during that time, it sometimes happens with not only nonprofits but corporations in general, I was laid off. And I began to think during the daytime, you know, I would go to different interviews and try to get temp jobs, but I just was not satisfied because I never wanted someone to have that much control over my life that they could lay me mm-hmm. off and I had nothing to fall back on. I realized that I really mm-hmm. didn't, I don't, I don't even know if I could say I had a, a, a good career at that time. I was working a job at that time and I wasn't really following my passion at that time. Um, so when I was off, one of the biggest things I was doing was really praying and ask, asking God to show me, you know, what my purpose was in, in this life and to give me some true direction. And I went to a job fair. It was at the Georgia World Congress Center, me and one of my girlfriends, and we got off of the MARTA, off of the, like the, kind of like the subway metro the bu- train thing. Yeah. Okay. And when we got off of that, I mean, it was so many people in there, Denise. I'm like, there's no way, wow. you know, I can go. In. And, there, you know, it's almost like 10,000 people in there, and they're saying, oh, $500. Wow. I'm like, okay, yes, we're leaving. So we turned right back around, <laughs> got back on the train on the way to the, you know, the parking deck to get our cars, and I stepped out. And you know how Oprah says you have that aha moment. I really believe I stepped off of that 
um, train on the way back to my car and had an aha moment and said, you know what, God has called me to, you know, write books. He was going to marry my love for reading, which I loved, loved, loved to do, especially growing up, and my love for writing. And they were going to have these babies, you know, call these books and you know that was the that was the biggest point for me, and I, you know I ended up going back to work, you know because you know things don't just jump off immediately. But I still always right. had always had that drive um, to say, okay, I want to be published. And I actually left the corporate arena uh, in 2006 after the birth of my first child, my son. It was a decision that you know my husband and I made as a family um, to be mm-hmm. able to leave. And I, I I tell you, I mean, it's been one of the biggest transitions I've ever had in my life. And I feel like I'm still transitioning. For one thing, I was a public relations major, a uh, public relations um, right. professional. So I'm used to being around people. You know, that was my right. thing, you know, networking and being around people. And being an author, it's really like a solo. When you're writing, it's yes. In the laptop, you know what I'm saying? You're not having all that interaction Mm -hmm. until you go out to book club meetings and stuff. But when you're doing the real work, it's just you. Um, And then when you have two kids running around the house, you know, you don't get to write as much as you want to. Um, So that was was a leap of faith for me for especially having a supportive husband who is going to say, you know what? We can do this. So we're ready. You know, you can be at home, you know, with the kids and you can, you know, pursue your love. So that's what we decided to do. Wow, that is, I, I, seven years, and with the book lovers having literary newsletter that I that I put out, that is the first time I have ever heard anybody say. And that's why I like to ask our guests one or two questions that I will sometimes ask each guest. It's just very interesting to hear people respond. I have never heard anybody say, "I just I went to a job fair." And I saw a crowd of people, and I turned around, and I just knew right away that I, I, I that I got to tell you. And then to, to to hit a bestseller list is really something. Sometimes we don't see what we've accomplished, the fears we've moved past ourselves, but a, a, another person can see it. We might be a little bit more up close on the struggle, but somebody else can see what we have accomplished. What was the first story that you wrote? Did you did you write and you said you always loved to read. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you actually sat down and started to write something? And was your first piece was it a poem, a short story, a novel? My first piece, well, as an adult, well, when I really started to go into the writing career, that when you first started writing anything as a child or as an adult, the first oh, time you wrote something. Well, Denise, I will have you know that I won for my poem, I think it was either first or second grade. Um, would you like to hear it? I won first place. Oh, science <laughs> fair. oh And it oh, goes a little something it. like, oh, I memorized it. Okay. <laughs> Go <laughs> ahead. It's going to make oh, me some goodness. big bucks one day. So my poem was <laughs> Shells. This is a poem about shells. And it was written on the on a um paper that I had cut out in the shape of a shell. Shells move around from place to place. Shells act like they're having a race. The little animals inside of them clean them and shine them like a gem. When they get tired of their old house, they get out and scurry away like a mouse. Their old house is left there alone until someone comes to take it home. That was my first award-winning piece of work. Okay. Wow! Con- con- congratulations. Why? Thank you. Oh you know that little blue ribbon meant a lot back then in elementary back school. Second grade, yes. <laughs> it I was can first see why you won an award for it. Yeah, that was pretty good. Oh, so I goodness. still have it. It's somewhere. You know, my grandmother. Um, you know, like you always keep your stuff at your grandmother's house. And right after I got married, she yes. bought me a box of things. She was like, "This is yours." And she bought it from North Carolina oh. to Georgia and gave it to me. I'm like, "No, this is supposed to stay at your house. This is memorabilia." But, um, and she really helped foster. I think my love for reading because that's one thing I used to always joke and say, well, you know, when I came out of school, I didn't know how to cook a thing because my old grandma didn't make me cook. She always used to say, as long as she's reading, leave her alone. Leave her alone. She's reading. So that's why I couldn't cook. <laughs> of course, I'm better now. <laughs> but it's all her fault, but we've gotten a, a, okay. a lot better since then. <laughs> Before we go and start talking about your books, and I'm I'm really interested to, to get into discussing your novels, I just had a couple of questions on the public relations because I'm a little ignorant about it. I know I have a, I have ideals of what a, someone in public relations does, mm-hmm. and I, I just wanted to know um, what on earth does a public relations professional do? I always think of large companies or mm-hmm. celebrities who hire people to keep their image 
mm-hmm. something that's an illusion. It's not even real. Mm-hmm. An image of what people think they're like intact. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Like hire somebody to keep people from seeing your clay feet. Okay. <laughs> well, that what a public re- now, what does a public relations professional? Well, see, do? I was and when I was in public relations, I was in public relations with um, health organizations and um, with uh, one of the major um, schools here in Atlanta as well. And I was always covering health topics and the research and things like that. So it was public relations and media relations. And what my job was to do is basically public relations is the work and the art of getting free, you know, basically free publicity um, for your brand, whether it's you as a person or an organization, you know, you have the things that you pay for, like advertising and marketing, but public relations is putting yourself and your best image in front of what everyone sees. So I was responsible for um, making sure that whether it was um, a doctor or one, of the profession, or one of the professors, if they had work that was groundbreaking, you know, we prepped them to be in front of the camera um, to answer questions, um, whether it was with a newspaper reporter or with a television reporter. Um, we, would, we would proactively pitch things. We would also field calls from people who say, you know, I need an expert on um, keeping flu and keeping colds and flu at bay. So we would get one of our professionals, you know, who was good on camera to, you know, to do those interviews. So it's just basically... I mean, I want to put it in the easy terms, but it is, you know, getting that free PR um, for your organization. You know, the things that you don't have to pay for, drumming up that word of mouth so people begin to see you as an expert. It is is basically putting your, you know, your your best foot forward, making sure what the public sees is your your best foot forward and not those clay feet like you were talking about. Uh, Okay. Wow. You must really have to believe in the people you're working with and in... The calls that you're, you're, if not, I don't see how somebody could do that job. I hear of, of um, some celebrities, their PR folks will say, I'm resigning. I guess they said, enough is enough. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. So from from the PR work, which I'm sure benefits you as a writer, I was I was interviewing uh, uh, Ty Webbin. I don't know if you know her. She does mm-hmm. and she does uh, the blog talk to the not the blog talk tours, but the book the, author tours. Yeah, she did my website. And, she did my um, oh, website okay. in 2004. <laughs> and I, she's very good. And I told her she she has recently written a book. I said, Do, have did you ever stop to see how the work you did before you published your novel with the marketing, the way you can get those websites done and those author tours, that will benefit you as a writer. Sometimes we overlook things, and that PR work, I can see how that could benefit you even today as you market and promote your books. But I want to start off by congratulating you on the, your success with Zora's Cry. So congratulations. Oh, wow. I, I tell you, as an author, to to make a bestseller list or to get, get the attention of that many readers where the word of mouth really starts to get the books so that is not something that happens to every author. So congratulations. I want to ask you, what struggles does Zora Bridgeforth, she's the main character in the story, without giving it away for far off-the-shelf listeners, what what struggles is she facing at the start of the book? Wow, now you are going way back, Denise. I mean, it's, Zora, is, Zora was my second um, book that I wrote. And with Zora Bridgeforth, she is struggling because when the book first opened, and this is right at the you know, beginning, she has discovered that she was adopted. And she has not known it after all these years. You know, she grew up thinking that her parents were her biological parents, and they end up getting killed in a car crash. So she's going to look for insurance papers and things of that sort and finds um, a letter saying that she's been adopted. So her identity wow. and what she thought was her identity, you know, everything about it has been crushed in this life that she's how, lived. How old was she when she found the letter? She was 30. Like I said, I'm wow. Wow. Thirty? Was she? Yeah, she was thirty. Now, like I said, I'm having a dig. That book came out in 2006, which means I wrote it in about 2005. So I got all these other books in the front, float, you know, floating in the front. But I believe she was thirty years old when she found out that. So all these years, wow. she never knew. So that's the that's the biggest issue she's dealing with in this book. Does she overcome? Uh, not not telling us how, but does she overcome that the struggle? I could only imagine she's probably angry with her adoptive parents and and wondering about herself like who am I really? Right. Does she right. overcome these struggles? Yeah, I think I think without um, telling the reader how she overcomes them. 
Right. Well, I mean, I've never been in a situation, so I can't speak, you know, of course, for someone who's adopted or someone who's recently found out that they're adopted. But I think there are a range of emotions that you go through. I know, like you said, first, you you know, you feel um, like you were maybe rejected, um, and then you might be mad at your adoptive parents for not telling you, but then you feel loved because you're glad they took you in. So I think Zora goes through situations where she learns to, she's learning, slowly learning to accept Every you know every stage in her life, she's about to get married in the book, so she's about to start her you know her own family, and she has a supportive fiance who says, you know what, we can get through this with you know me, the rest of your family, your friends, and God first and foremost. We will be able to overcome. So I do believe she, um, she's overcome. She's not by the end of the book in a perfect place because the book is over a series of like nine months. You can't correct something like that in nine months. Um, right but she has gotten. She's gotten stronger and she's gotten better and she's coming to the point where she can accept it more. So I believe she does overcome this particular stage in her life. Okay, and that's that sort of left up to the reader like a lot of great writers do. You give them enough information and then let the reader sort of fill in the rest on their own. The title of one of your next books, The Truth About Love, mm-hmm. what do the four women in this story what do they think they know about love? You know how we think we just know, oh, I know, I'm right. I know mm-hmm. I'm right, and we get into arguments with people because <laughs> we just know our, the, what we think is true, and then 10 years later we realize, oops, maybe I didn't know as much as I thought I did. What do these four women think they know about love? They're just absolutely sure about it at the start hmm. of the book. Well, this book, The Truth About Love, is the continuation of Azora's Cry. Um, and I think that these women who are in the book, um, the four women who are in the book that met previously, like you said, they think they know about love. They think that they are patient because this book is based on 1 Corinthians 13. And, you know, it says love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it isn't proud. So these women think they know what love is. You know, we have a false... I think we have a false picture in society of what love is because you can turn on the television and and you see people's depiction of love, you know, but they're in love with one person this week and the next week they're in love with somebody else. and So that's not really love. That's lust. So what these women learn, I'll tell you what they, I won't tell you what they think love, what they, um, what they don't know about love is that it it really does conquer all. Love never fails. You know, they're not as patient as they think they are. They but they could be patient, but maybe they're not kind. You know, they could have patience and, and be kind, but maybe they're envious. So most people just think of love as like that Eros kind of love. That, well, you know, I love you, that thing you feel with the heart and the feel, things you feel with the emotions. But it doesn't always encompass, you know, that sacrifice that love has. And so they learn that, you know, love never fails, but you know, sometimes it's not always easy to love. Not love the way that, according to you know God's word, it's not as easy as as we can sometimes say it is. Yeah, and then sometimes we think, and I, and I, and I, before I say that, I, I preface it with: I think some relationships are better for us and healthier to get out of. Uh, especially if there's abuse and those types of things. I don't think you can love somebody that's abusing you. I I think there's something wrong psychologically with the person. That's just my view. Better stay there and take a beating over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's times when it, you you should exit. That's just that's my view. There's mm-hmm. times when it's healthy to take put your walking shoes on and head out. But there there are in all relationships there are times even when you think about how much you love your children and how much you might love someone in your family or your parents or your siblings, there are times even in those relationships you can't get out of them because there's blood that's connected. Right. But you you, 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 you might think, you know what, I, I need to just step away from so-and-so for a while because they're getting mm-hmm. on my nose mm-hmm. or whatever. That comes in every relationship, even people you love dearly. There's no way around that. Uh, so, certainly we don't want to abuse that. But I wanted to ask you, Mm-hmm. Tia, as you wrote, because as authors, I, I think we put a part of ourselves into our stories, and we certainly evolve and learn as we're writing. What What did you think you knew about love before you wrote the truth about love that you came to realize, you know, maybe there's another way to look at this? Yeah. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think that I knew that love was as sacrificial as it is. It's not about all about you, you know, receiving this love, but... Um, 
giving love. I didn't know it was a sacrificial. Like I was, I was just looking at love sometimes. Like I said, it's an emotional thing. Um, but you know, if it says, "Well, love is not easily angered," well, there was times I was easily angered with someone, you know, that I loved, and um, it, you know, it said, "Well, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud." Well, there were some times that I was proud, so I wasn't taking the whole picture of love. You know, how, like you kind of pick and choose. Well, you're like, "Well, I love, mm-hmm. I know how to love," but you were picking and choosing parts of the scripture mm-hmm. that you wanted to put in your life. So I didn't, I didn't know the whole entire concept of love, and it's something that I'm, you know, that I'm still working on. You know, when you want to mm-hmm. be easily angered, you know, well, that's not, you know, being loved. You know, that's not the correct way of love. And you know, it does say that. That that love never fails. It never fails. And so I'm yeah. like, okay, if there's something in my life or a situation in my life or a person in my life that I feel like our love is faltering, well, is it true love? Because, you know, love never fails. And God is love. So what, how, how is God working in the relationship with that person or in that situation? Wow. Oh, my goodness. I can see why you are the co-founder of Anointed Authors on Tour. Listen <laughs> <laughs> you talk. And love never fails. This is from... For our off-the-shelf listeners, this is just a, 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 a something at Tia's website, and again, it's TiaMcCullers dot com, which is T I A M C C O L L O R S dot com. You can go over and check out our website as you listen to the interview, and it goes: the man, his woman, his ex-wife, after being married to their careers instead of each other for ten years, Ace and Lynette Bowers ended their marriage, but four years later, it seems their love never ended to both of their surprises and denial. Now, I, I I had to ask you, and this is a backdrop for our listeners from your, uh, your latest, your, one of your books, The Last Woman Standing. Mm-hmm. I had to ask you this as I was researching this. Why do Lace, Ace and Lynette, why do they wait so long, Tia, before they come to let themselves realize something is wrong in their marriage, wrong to the point where to continue to act like nothing's wrong is just going to put them into a deeper, deeper ditch and we gotta climb out of these ditches we dig. So you wanna dig a real deep ditch? Enjoy that real deep climb out. Why do why do they wait so long before they realize, hey, this this it's not working. It's just not working. But they wait so long before they get divorced or they wait so long before they get back together? Before they realize that, that there's something wrong. They have to change the way they are uh, treating each other, the way they are treating their their marriage. It's like they just doing their careers well, that's, and, that's what happened. That's what happened, Denise. Because sometimes people get they can be you can be living together, you can be married and living with your part, with your spouse, but your spouse is just a roommate because you're on two different tracks in life. I really believe they have like if you don't take make the effort to stay connected and build a family unit, then you can go off and you're doing your thing. The husband can be doing his thing with his career, especially because it was Ace because he was a pilot, so he wasn't always home. And then you have um, a successful wife who's a, you know a dentist and she's doing things with her career and with the children. And before you know it, you have gone in two different directions. You know you make these vows to walk together as one, but you're split and you're going in, in two different directions. So sometimes people just get so comfortable in, um, you know, relationships that are not working, you know, dysfunctional relationships. I think it, you know, every every family, I believe, has a little bit of dysfunction. You know, everybody just has a different range, some more than others. But you get so comfortable in a relationship, and this is, oh, this is just how it is, and this is how, you know, we've been doing it for years, that before you know it, you've grown apart, and you don't realize, okay, Two years have passed, four years have passed, you know, 10, 15 years have passed. Because you're just, you know, doing your day-to-day thing, the day-to-day routine. And you look up and it's like, you know what, this isn't working. Or we didn't put the effort in it or the work behind it to make it work. I think they were just going along with their lives. Go ahead. This book has me so intrigued. I got to say, I don't know why it does. I just find it fascinating. I find it fascinating that they they had their successful careers. They stayed married so long. It was and I and I hear what you're saying, but do they gain so much pleasure? And and I'm not looking at it from the aspect of uh, questioning, like the the your your uh, I guess the motive for for the writing the book the way you did. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at them as if they were a real life couple, not not mm-hmm. just in the story. Do they gain so much pleasure from their work? That they just miss these gaping holes in their marriage, mm-hmm. and and and, and, it, and it's just mm-hmm. terrible for them. I it just I find that amazing. Mhm, mhm. So you don't know any people like that who are so involved in their careers and their job, especially if it's something that they have a passion. It's different if they just have a job, but if they're passionate about their career, people get lost into that. 
People, I believe people get lost in it. So they must have got some enjoyment out of the marriage, though, to stay together that long. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have... Just, and then you have kids. Sometimes people do things for the kids. You don't believe me, do you? God bless. <laughs> I do. I do. And I've heard of people who do this. God bless anybody who would do do that for like 10 or more years of their life. Mm-hmm. I, I, See, they had to. They why, got that divorce, and they had to get the divorce, I believe, to see what was really important. I'll say they had to. I won't say they had to. But the divorce, after being divorced for those, well, they were divorced for a total of four years. I believe then they began to see, you know, what truly mattered or what should have truly mattered in their family with their relationships. It's, I think it took the divorce to to show them that. Why does Lynette tolerate aces infidelities? I could go on and on about this. <laughs> well, for one thing, oh my for one, is a, for one thing, they were they were divorced. They were legally divorced when he started um, dating Sheila, the other woman in his life. They were divorced. He wasn't seeing her. He wasn't like it's not like you know he had an affair with this other woman. They had been divorced for two years by the time he started dating another woman. So it's really like she didn't really have a say so in it. Okay, okay. <laughs> who who are some of the other major and minor characters? This is definitely a a, a, a book that, you know, a reader would want to read to see how these characters' lives turn out because you have a lot of conflict in these, in this story, which is good. Who who are some of the other major and minor characters in Last Woman Standing, and how do these people help to move the story forward? Okay, well, I will say Sheila is, um, I think there are three main characters in the last, I'm going to tell you about the main characters. In the last woman standing, there are three main characters. Ace, um, who is the man, Sheila, who is the, his current girlfriend, and Lynette, who is his ex-wife. Well, Sheila has a girlfriend named Cassandra. And you know how you always have the picture on the cartoons where you have like an angel sitting on one shoulder and the devil sitting in a little red dress or a little red outfit on the other shoulder? Well, Cassandra would represent the little devil on the, on the shoulder. And I believe she helps move the story forward because, for one thing, she's full of she she's full of drama. She feeds off of everyone else's life, and she brings drama into their relationship. So she helps kind of move the story forward because she in, she in and of herself is another is a story. Um, and then Ace has a good friend named Kenny Pope, who he goes to for advice. You know, the good kind of advice. The um, mm-hmm. the brother who will speak to you in truth and in love. And then also Lynette has a good friend by the name of Audrey who speaks to her in truth and in love. And I think by the end of the book you get to see the difference between um, um, the people who have good positive influences in their life like Lynette and Ace and those who don't have the best influences in their life like Sheila have to have with her best friend Cassandra. Okay. I think we have a, a question from a caller, so just just a moment. Okay. Hello, caller. Right, do you have a question for the author, Tia McCullers? Hello? Hello? Hello, do you have a Hi, thank you for joining us here at Off the Shelf. Do you have a question for the author, Tia McCullers? I didn't have a question. I just had a comment. Um, okay. You you, you, you seem mystified about people being involved in their careers and, you know, people <laughs> mm-hmm. staying together and, I mean, I just almost think that I agree with the author. I think it's commonplace, particularly if you love your work. Because you have to remember, your work doesn't talk back. It doesn't fight <laughs> back. You know, <laughs> it doesn't require you to do anything but do it. That's and right. in relationships, you know, you have to communicate. You have to compromise. You know, you have to do that work of, um, like Tia said, about loving. You know, you have to put pride down. You have to put, you know, envy down. You have to put anger down. Sometimes you have to put down what you want. And so I think that makes it more difficult to interact with a human being than it is to go to an office and deal with a computer or deal with an account or deal with, you know, whatever it is that you're producing. So I'm just going to raise my hand and agree with the author that um, those things definitely can take over and years absolutely can creep by before you realize what you have allowed to erode. Right. And then right. you're with your work more than anything during the day. Like you're with your work eight to ten hours a day, and by the time you get home, you're at home a couple hours with the family. It's time to shut the family down and start again in the morning. So, ah, uh, good, good point. Thank you, Carla. Do you mind leaving your name and letting us know the city and the state you're you're tuning in from? Well, I'm I'm calling from Atlanta, and <laughs> um, I'm one of Tia's readers. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to be anonymous. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, 
Thank you, and please enjoy the rest of the interview. We appreciate you being I here will. with us. Okay. Thank you. Uh, okay, Tina, I want to talk about your uh, your latest book, Stepping into the Good Life. Mm-hmm. Sheila uh, Rushmore, and she also appears in The Last Woman Standing, she is uh, making her way again onto the center stage. <laughs> uh, is she... Is she in Stepping into the Good Life again? She was in The Last Woman Standing, a woman who Ace was in a relationship with while he was divorced from Lynette. Is she a character that readers told you, T.I., I can't get enough of her, and that's why you brought her back to star well, in Stepping into the Good Life? Well, I brought her back because people didn't necessarily say they couldn't get enough of her. They were would email me or either say, oh, I can't stand that girl. You know, what is wrong with her? What kind of problems does she <laughs> You know, where, is, where does she come from? Why does she have all those issues? Or they would email me and say, oh, we have to know more about Sheila. I can tell she's a good person at heart. You know, I feel sorry for her. So that's where I guess, you know, that's where I said, okay, you know, people want to hear more about Sheila. You know, who is she really? Because, you know, I would get either one of the two. You know, there was usually never really any middle ground. It was like you felt sorry for her or you just couldn't stand it. So that's why I said, okay, let me show. I believe every person can be you know, redeem. Everyone has redeeming qualities, and even I don't think I don't think that she was a, a really a bad person or anything at heart. I just think she has issues, like most of us. Does she change her ways? I'm I'm getting. When I was doing the research, I thought here's a, here's a woman. She's going to learn from her mistakes, and as as we all make mistakes and hopefully learn from them. Did did she change? Does she change her ways by the end of the story? And why did you decide to make her the main character instead of Lynette? Well, let me answer that last question first. Lynette has just got married back to Ace. They have their own issues they need to deal with. So I'm gonna give them a couple years and see. You know, when you're all happily married and newlyweds, you know everything's all good. So we'll check on Lynette later. But um, with oh wait, I have to go back to the to the question with Sheila. Wait. Oh, did she have? Did she get it all together? You said she. Yeah, she did. Did she learn from her? See, you know what about the thing about Sheila? She's a lot better than she was when the book first opened. I don't think she's perfect. Okay. She's perfect. She's definitely not perfect, you know. Because for one thing, this new faith walk that she has is is totally new. Before her relationship with God was always based on you know, another man, what a man was doing and, you know, if he was going to church. But this is her first true relationship or trying to build her true relationship with God and having a faith walk. And does she make mistakes? Yes. But by the end of the book, she's not the person that she was at the beginning of the book. She's not the perfect person, but she's not the perfect right. person that she was. So she, does she learn from her mistakes? I definitely think she learns from her mistakes, definitely. Wow, so- Readers get to watch her transform, and that again is another mark of a, of good good writing. Without giving a story away for our listeners who may never have, some of them may not have heard of Tia McCullers, some may not have read Stepping Into the Good Life or The Last Woman Standing. But without giving a story away, could you give our listeners here a glimpse into Stepping Into the Good Life? Yes, well, like we discussed before, Stepping Into the Good Life is the story of Sheila Rushmore. Now, when the book first opens, Sheila has snuck into the wedding of Ace and Lynette from The Last Woman Standing. Her girlfriend, Cassandra, has, you know, basically convinced her, you know, um, you need to go and have closure under this relationship, go to this wedding, and that way you'll be able to put this behind you. So she sneaks into this wedding, and unbeknownst to her, she received this. She received a touch from God while she was there. She was planning to close the door in a relationship, and ends up that God opens her heart um, to her. So, you know, she's going through a lot of things. She, you know, she's hit rock bottom. She's lost her man. She's lost her job, and I believe sometimes she thinks she's losing her mind. But the one person she does find is God. So things start to look up, you know, step by step. When she ends up meeting a woman by the name of Eden, who becomes a good friend and a, really a good mentor, who kind of helps her rethink her life and and um, help her walk this new faith walk she has. By all means, it's not the perfect walk. Um, she does have to go through things because that's how your that's how your 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 faith is strengthened, I believe. But you know, by the end, she has changed her definition of what the good life is. I believe she's always thought the good life was a man with that was six feet, six figures, and a six-pack. And now she's changed her definition of what the good life is by the time the, the last page has turned. Wow. And you've also written for anthologies. And we've had on Off the Shelf several authors who 
have written stories for anthologies and several best-selling authors. And they say, you know, you, you, you get a, a one household name author, and then you can help another author who's coming up become more recognized if they are also included in the anthology. I want to ask you, do you think writing for anthologies is something you'd recommend that other writers do? Yes, I think if it's if the opportunity is presented, I think it's an awesome way um, for you. Like you said, if you are um, an author who's trying to build their build their readership, and you write um, an anthology with an author with a um, bigger presence in the publishing industry, you know you can gain readers from that, and vice versa, that person can gain readers um, as well. And then you just benefit from you know just having that author mentor friendship. Um, kind of relationship, you you know, benefit from maybe doing events together and, you know, just growing and learning from each other. I mean, you should always be connected with people who you're going to learn something from, someone that you know more than and someone that knows more than you. So I definitely think it's beneficial. What 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 has, just, just before we, we, we get away from uh, stepping into the good life, what has reader response been like to uh, each of your books, particularly your latest Stepping into the good life. What are readers telling you about about the novels? Well, I will say that my first book, Heart of Devotion, seems to be everyone's love. I don't know if I just poured mm. so much of my heart into that one because it's like your baby. But everyone, no matter what, um, they seem to just love a heart of devotion. And then, actually, this last one. Stepping into the good life, I think, is one of um, the ones I've received one of the most responses from as well. Because this was my first book that was written in first person. Um, my other books were in third person, meaning that in first person you get to, you know, the story is told from one person's point of view and it's in their mind. So I think it uses, like, it draws readers in more um, when you use that first person because they can really see, okay, what is this character thinking? You know, why are they doing this? And things like that. So I believe my first book and this last book. Um, have gotten the definitely gotten the most reader responses as of now. Okay, okay. And what's the title of your first book again? A Heart of Devotion. A Heart of Devotion. Is that yes. fiction or nonfiction? No, it is nonfiction. I mean, it's fiction actually. Some people think it's nonfiction, like it's a devotional or something like that, but it's a novel. Oh, okay, okay. A Heart of Devotion. Tia, yes. you do so much, and I, I got to tell you. In seven years with the with the folks I've interviewed here on Off the Shelf and and featured in the newsletter, the book lovers having, I'm always surprised. It's it's two things I see. One 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 group of of folks will say, you say, why don't why aren't you going after your dream or why aren't you doing this or that? And they'll say, I don't have enough time. And then there's another group of people who are achieving their dreams and going after their goals, and their schedule will run circles. <laughs> <laughs> People who say I don't, I'm not doing it because I don't have enough time. It's just two groups. I've just noticed that either one doesn't go after the dreams or the destiny, and you ask them why not. I don't have enough time, and then the one who is doing it, their schedule would blow you away to see it. It would almost like scare you, like, oh my god, how do you do all of that? So like so many people I met, I want you keep a full schedule and you keep moving forward. I wanted to ask you, when and why did you decide, of all the things you're doing, your mom, your wife, you got two two children. Again, you're a wife. You're a novelist. I, I, I'm not. Do you also work a full time job outside of writing? No, I don't. I, I was getting ready to say because we do that as well. <laughs> when and why would all you do? Did you decide to help found the Anointed Authors Online Tour? Well, what happened was actually someone, um, two of the members, I believe it was um, Vanessa, well, I think it was Vanessa Miller, Michelle Simpson, and Kendra Norman Bellamy had bought the idea to me. I think um, Vanessa and Michelle had originally um, started putting the idea together. And they brought it to um, to my attention, and, you know, we just started corresponding via email, and we just thought it was a great idea. So it's one of those ideas where you sit on it and always talk about it or you move forward and do something about it. So that was one of those situations where we just decided, you know, hey, what do we have to lose? Let's move forward and try it. Uh, it, it, it tell us what anointed authors online tour, what are some of the benefits to authors, and can is the tour accepting new authors? Well, Anointed Authors on Tour was founded in 2006, 
And originally it was not just online. And we've been doing online things, um, a couple things last year. This year, not so much. But it was real. It was originally seven authors, um, seven cities when we started in 2006. And what we would do is just go around like we would um, put events together in different cities, um, whether it was you know Greensboro and Raleigh, North Carolina, Dallas, Texas, Houston, Texas, Atlanta area, Baltimore, Maryland. And we would go as a group, so who, whoever out of the group could go, we would go at to, as groups to libraries. Um, if a book club was putting an event on or if a church organization was putting an event on, I mean, we just get together and really, you know, read from our books, connect with authors, other authors, connect with readers. Um, we had a pajama party one time with the group, and it was just really a way to get our works and the works of other Christian fiction authors out in, out in the forefront um, so people could learn more about us. Are, are you accepting new – is the tour accepting new authors? And if so, how can our off-the-shelf listeners, because we have a lot of writers who tune in, how could they join the tour if the tour is accepting new writers? Right. Currently, there's not in new authors being accepted. Um, we are doing one event this year at the Faith and Fiction Retreat in Ponte Vedra, Florida. Faithandfictionretreat.com, I believe, is the website. Um, so we're doing that one event this year. They're not accepting new authors. We're not accepting new authors right now, but I will say um, do not let that stop you from starting your own tour group. It's really fairly easy. If you know someone, another author, you wouldn't, you know, be wouldn't mind getting, you know, to know um who lives in your area. You don't have to fly everywhere. You know, you could just say, Okay, for in the summer we're gonna go to go to, you know, two places a weekend, some place within driving distance and just connect with those people via Facebook, um, via Twitter and get a group of authors together. I wouldn't suggest a lot. Um maybe just start off with maybe three um, total and just start putting those um, calls out there and asking them, would anyone like to sponsor or host an event and bring you all in? Um, it just really takes just a little organization and um, that determination to get some events set up, and then you can you know start your own own tour with other authors and just help each other build your readership and things of that nature. I am hearing more authors, Lisa Watson and Pat Simmons. They're, they write romance. Romance novels. I think Pat, this uh, mainly Christian romance. Uh, they teamed up together and they met at a writers' conference. But I'm hearing more authors, whether it's anthologies or whatever, some kind of way, rather than just trying to market and promote on a solo aspect, mm-hmm. authors grouping together and coming together, whether it's again through writing an anthology. Mm-hmm. or whether it's an online tour where authors are getting together online or offline, I'm seeing more and more of that because it's very competitive out here. And yes. so many people do have books that you have to you know, be creative and be open to spreading the word about your books so many different ways. Mm-hmm. For off-the-shelf listeners, i got to tell you, we are talking to Tia McCullers, another fascinating woman. I mean, she, even as I'm looking at the next questions that I'm going to ask her, I'm thinking, wow, and even our listeners will probably see as from the start of the interview to the end that this is an amazing woman. Uh, Tia is online at T-I-A-M-C-C-O-O-C, excuse me, let me start over, T-I-A-M-C-C-O-L-L-O-R-S. I know you had to spell your name when you were in school. <laughs> my husband gave me that name, Denise. I was had a really simple last name. And then yeah, I up and get married. He gave me this old crazy sounding last name. Well, this is what I did. I, my website, you can also get to it by going to Tia Writes, like it's in Writes Books, TiaWrites.com. And that way, oh, I don't ever have to spell it again. Yeah, TiaWrites.com. Because <laughs> people get so confused by that last name. I just tried to make it as easy as possible. <laughs> Okay, TiaWrites.com, and she is the author of, I want to let our listeners know who might just be tuning in, she's the author of Zora's Cry, A Heart of Devotion, uh, The Last Woman Standing, The Truth About Love, and her latest is Stepping Into the Good Life. Please go and support her. Again, TiaWrites, T-I-A-W-R-I-T-E-S.com. She has an awesome website, and I think you will enjoy your time over there. We've talked about Anointed Authors online tour. We've talked about your novels. And as if that is not enough, you also do life coach, life coaching. When did you decide to start uh, serving other people and trying to help others to achieve their own 
vision or destiny as a life coach? Well, I actually started that at the beginning of this year. Um, well, I take that back. At the beginning of last year in May, I, intend, I attended um, a certification program called the um, with the CAP Institute. Um, it was a coach training intensive with the CAP Institute that was um, founded by life coach Valerie Burton. Now, my practice is in no way close to what she has. I'm just starting off, so I've only done like a couple of group coaching sessions. Um, but I just always said, okay, you know, there were people who were always talking about those things that they wanted to do, but they would never move forward in doing it. And I would always say, okay, well, what is actually holding you back? So really coaching is mm. not doing things for that person, but it's asking the right questions to get to get them thinking and to keep them moving forward because I don't have the answers for them. Only they have the answers for them. But us talking through it and me asking you the right questions helps propel you and inspire you to meet those goals in case okay we'll say okay well we talked about this this month next month or in two weeks let's see where we are you know and how far we are from the next goal so it's just kind of you know having someone who um can kind of push and propel you and it's not more even more so it's not even like a mentor i think a coach and a and a mentor is two two different things because i think a mentor does more hand not your hand holding i don't think that's a bad word hand holding um and may work more you know more intensely and more closely with the person um sometimes than a coach does so i was just you know tired of people being stalled basically yeah i don't think a mentor a mentor is somebody almost like that you follow. They they right. can show you, okay, this is how I did it. A life coach, right. they might not be on the same path you're on. Exactly. And I exactly. do what you said, the the answer that to all of our questions, I, I am told, is in, inside of us. Even the scriptures, Christ says the kingdom of heaven is within you. The answers are inside of us. We often don't believe that. What amazes me is how we can actually, either through fear or and generally it's fear we can actually blind ourselves to all these opportunities or we or we do fear we know if i take this step it's going to get me over into the next phase but we're afraid to take that step mm-hmm. <laughs> we stay mm-hmm. where we are mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. with a life coach to maybe make that fear less uh hard so we can take that step. I think that work of, of a life coach is really awesome. It, it's not psychology, but it's a little bit of what psychologists do with some clients as well to help mm-hmm. take the barriers down so you right. can go and live the life you were meant to live. Tia, right. Tia what, is, what is Visions in Print? Oh, Visions in Print. Actually, it's a group. It's disbanded right now, um, but Visions in Print was an arm of the American Christian Fiction Writers, um, mm-hmm. and that's acfw.com. And it was the local. It was kind of our um, our, our local sector, a local chapter um, when we were all involved in American Christian Fiction Writers. So since we are not now, we just that group, that group is um, broken up. But it, but I, what I will say, it was a group of um, um, aspiring writers and published writers who, you know, got together to network, um, to critique each other's work, bounce ideas off, and, you know, just really to be, you know, just the encouragement and inspiration to each other, you know, to each other as we moved forward in our writing careers. And I believe we did that group was disbanded and was broken up, but some of the original members continue to stay together and still continue, um, you know, to meet to make sure they're moving forward. Okay, vision, visions in print. Another, another in your public relations. You said you love working with people, so some kind of way you found a way to continue to work with others. I wanted to ask you now. You have authored again, Zora's Cry, The Last Woman Standing, The Truth About Love, A Heart of Devotion, and Stepping Into the Good Life. And yes. you've made the Essence bestseller list. And again, congratulations to you on that. That is not something that happens every day. Before okay. we move on, I want to ask you. And this is one of the questions that I ask several of our off-the-shelf guests. How did creating each of these books change you as a person? When you look wow. back over all the books you've written so far, how has writing all of these books changed you? Hmm. I think for each of these books, I've always, um, I usually, you know, most authors put just like a little small piece of themselves in a book. Not saying that that story is necessarily them, 
um, but maybe they have one of the characters where it might have like um, an issue they're going through or a personality like they're going through, um, like they might be going through. I know with the Heart of Devotion, I think that story was more close to my own story um, than anyone because I had dealt with putting all of myself into um, a man's vision, another man's vision, instead of pursuing what God had given me. And that was kind of like the basis mm. of that story, and that had happened to me. So I just kind of took that and expanded that. So that kind of helped. I mean, by the time I had written that book, I was way past that situation. But it still allowed mm-hmm. me to say, okay, well, how can I use my testimony to help someone else? Um, mm-hmm. And there was Zora's Cry. Um, that part of me came from attending, um, participating in a nine-month discipleship group. Um, with a twelve, it was twelve groups of twelve women, and the twelve women that I was connected with. I mean, we our hearts were just mended together um, during this nine month period. And after I, um, after we had graduated out of the program and everything, I said, you know, what if there was a a book about you know these four women who come from four different backgrounds, but then they begin to know each other and each each other's secrets through you know this situation, the situations that they're going through. And then mm-hmm. Truth About Love was just kind of a continuation of that. And with The Last Woman Standing, I will say, I'm not sure. Well, I know there's not a piece of my life story in there, um, but I do believe one of the characters, Audrey, is a little bit like, you know, I am kind of like a no-nonsense character. Um, mm-hmm. So I believe they helped me because they help you look at your own issues in life. And sometimes instead of you, you, you can work out your own issues through a character. You know what I'm saying, and see, okay, well, mm-hmm. you know, let me step out of myself and see, you know, how I, how someone, if it was someone else, what would I tell them to do? Because you know, we always have the answers for somebody else, but when it comes to our own right. problems, you can't seem to solve them. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, right. if I solve this problem through a character, I can just see what the character would do, and you know, it would make sense wow. for me to do the same thing. So, I, I, I it kind of goes back to the life coaching. And where you 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 have these blinders up, and you're not able to see something. And then if you say, okay, let me step out and look at it from a different angle, then an answer or something will just that's always been there. Mm-hmm. You just see it all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we, only, we have as we come down to the last few minutes of today's okay. interview for our listeners who would love to be in Tia McCullough's shoes, <laughs> and, and and by that I say they would love to be able to say. I'm a published author. There mm-hmm. are people who would just, that might have been a lifelong dream of theirs. What advice would you give to off-the-shelf listeners who have that desire, that passion, who are trying to land a book publisher? Okay. Um, I teach a writer's workshop called The Writer's Devotion, so I'm going to give you those eight tips from a writer's devotion, Denise. Um, and one of the, the first things is to D, you have to discipline yourself to write on a daily basis or at least to write on a consistent schedule because one thing that, one thing that editors and um, acquisition editors and publishers don't do is accept ideas and empty pages. So you're going to have to discipline mm. yourself to write on a daily basis or at least on a regular schedule. Um, I have to remind myself that all the time. Um, e, you have to educate yourself about the publishing industry and about the craft of writing. Um, V is visualize where you want to be and go there. And by that, I mean when I was first starting off, I would go, when authors had book signings and things like that, I was there. When they were writing workshops, I was there because I said, if this is the life that I want to live, I need to know how everyone is doing it. So visualize where you want to be. If you want to be a best-selling author, Mm -hmm. go to where those best-selling authors are. Um, And then O is opportunity oh always open yourself up to the leadings of the Holy Spirit. And for me that was just basically getting quiet, making sure I stayed connected with God so I would know the stories that I wanted to write. Um so that I would know what events or things I should attend. So that was oh open yourself up to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Um T is tie yourself to like minded people which was one of the reasons that um, I was involved with the critique group at the time because you can learn so much from people who are going in the same direction that you're going. I is to inspire mm-hmm. yourself um, and to invest in yourself. Inspire yourself because sometimes you are the only cheerleader that you have. Um, and invest in yourself by taking the time out to write, by, you know, investing with yourself with your time, um, investing in yourself with your money. If there's something that you want to, um, an event that you want to attend, that's an investment. Don't look at it as, oh, I'm just paying this registration. No, that's an investment um, into your future. Um 
O is opportunities are everywhere. You know, stay prepared. Um, if that means you're just writing um, short stories and maybe putting them on a blog, you know, you never know. Someone could run across those things. So, you know, keep your eyes open for those opportunities. And N is to never quit. If it's something that God has wow. called you to do, do you have an option to quit? So those are my eight wow. quick tips for um, it's called a writer's devotion. And I think those things will kind of help um, aspiring authors and published authors stay on track. Yeah, and I thank you. I appreciate you sharing those, Tia. And I, I would just say, you know, writing is sort of like an isolated, as you, mm-hmm. we were saying earlier in the in the interview. I mean, it's something you do by yourself. You mm-hmm. don't sit and write a book generally with ten other people. Right. You sit down and you get at a computer or a laptop, and you're there alone mm-hmm. for hours of writing. And sometimes, if you don't get the results you want. It can get frustrating, and writers can say, you know, this is just not going to happen for me. Mm-hmm. Particularly if you hear about another author who just took off, and then right. you're thinking, okay, when is my turn coming? <laughs> right, 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 right. right. And it's all, everyone, you know, people have different, you know, timings in their life, and, and, and you know, because I used to always say, oh, I'm not writing, you know, as much as I should. You know, mm-hmm. I was always complaining and finding a reason. Well, so-and-so puts out a book every year, and they're doing so much, and they're, mm-hmm. you know, doing this and doing that. I could always find something. But I said, you know, we have to look at different seasons of people's lives. Well, that person was writing so much because their children are grown. You know, you have a right. four-year-old and a two-year-old. You don't have, they mm-hmm. don't have the same kind of responsibilities, you know, that you right. have. And, and, um, and so then there are people looking me and say, well, you're doing so much and you're doing this. And I'm like, um, no, really, I'm not. You know what I'm saying? So people are different. You just have to you just have to know the season that you are in life. Because during the times when right. I was just crying this and crying that, I mean, my husband said, baby, you act like the kids are never going to grow up. You know, I'm like, oh, oh Lord, I'll never write another book. It's like, these children do get older. You know what I'm saying? I'm, acting, I'm like, you know, I was asking like they were going to say baby forever. They were never going to grow up and leave or either even grow to be more self-sufficient. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It, was like it was the end of the world. Oh, yeah. And now, you know, they're still little busy ones, but, you know, they play with each other. And, you know, they yes. can keep themselves more oh, entertained than taking before. Me back. Yeah, so, oh, you yeah. know, you have to just relish the season that you're in and know that whatever it is, yes. it's not always going to be that way. And never quit. My son's 21, and I, that's why I was laughing when you were saying, when you were talking, oh, my goodness, uh, it's just so funny when you were saying, you know, what your husband told you. Before we close, we've got three minutes left. I wanted to ask you, who are some of your favorite poets and writers, and what is it about their work you appreciate? Oh, that's such a hard question. I could tell you so many writers that I enjoy reading. I enjoy reading Victoria Christopher Murray. I enjoy reading Rhonda McKnight, Sherry Lewis. Um, uh, the new book coming out, Living in the Pink by Sharon Tubbs, is a book that I'm getting ready to go um, read. I love Jodi Picoult. I love um, Mary Monroe. She's coming to Atlanta area in a little while. I love Rashonda Tapes, Billingsley, um, Michelle Simpson, Vanessa Miller. I could just keep going on and on. You know, people say, what's your favorite author? I always take the selfish route and say, I'm my own favorite author. Um, okay. And then secondly, of course, you know, there's no greater book than the Bible. Um, right, so, right. of course, the, you know, the work that God has inspired. Um, but other than that, I just, I've, I've really opened my mind to start reading across genres and just reading so many different things. Because if you get stuck just reading one thing, you never grow. You know, at least your mm. you know your mind is never challenged. I'm not saying read crazy things is going to sway your opinion and what you stand on. Mm-hmm. Because, but you do need to know what other people in this world think. You know, how can you persuade okay. someone? Like, if you know, if I'm a child of God, how can I persuade someone that this life, you know, that I live and the God that I serve is the only God to serve? If I don't even know what you think and what you believe, so you know, I've okay. learned to um, like thrillers and legal thrillers and things like that. So I have a, a lot of authors that I read now. Okay, are you on Facebook and Twitter? Before we go, we only have a few seconds left. Can you let our listeners know where they can find you on some of the social networks? Yes, Facebook and Twitter. You can go to Tia McCullers. You can find on Tia McCullers, Facebook and Twitter. Okay. So we have enjoyed this hour with our special guest, Tia McCullers. Again, she's the author of Zora's Cry, The Last Woman Standing, The Truth About Love, A Heart of Devotion, and an anthology she contributed to, A Million Blessings, and her latest book, Stepping Into the Good Life. Please go visit her online at TiaWrites.com, T-I-A-W-R-I-T-E-S, Writes Like Writing with a pen, 
TiaWrites.com. And we want to thank you so much, Tia, for being here with us. I, I always learn so much from our guests. And, and, and congratulations to you again. She's an Essence best-selling author, which is a phenomenal accomplishment. So congratulations. Again, please go support her. You can check out her latest book, Stepping Into the Good Life. If you don't see it on the bookstore shelf, just ask the clerk for it, and I'm sure they can get a copy for you. Just tell them you want to get a copy of Stepping Into the Good Life by Tia McCullers. Or you can visit her online and find out how you can follow her on the social network. She's on Facebook and Twitter and learn more about what she's got coming out next. Again, that's TiaWrites.com. To our listeners, thank you, thank you, thank you, as always, for being here with us this Saturday. Please come back next Saturday at 11 o'clock in the morning, Eastern Standard Time, where we will bring you another phenomenal guest, somebody who is really doing great things in the book publishing industry. Tia, we wish you the best. Thank you. And to our listeners, remember, you are so valued, so truly blessed, and go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. And, Tia, I'll shoot you an email. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.